I learned how to identify a wasp. I learned how to describe a wasp. And in the end, the scientist gave me the liberty to name the wasp. On the one hand, of course I was thrilled. I mean, who gets to name an animal ever? But on the other hand, I was horrified because it's a super colonial gesture. Welcome to Decolonization in Action, a podcast that considers how knowledge, medicine, and science are being decolonized today. We hope to interview scientists, historians, activists, museum curators, and others who put decolonization in practice. My name is Edna Bonhomme. And my name is Christina Comer. And we are broadcasting from the Max Planck Institute for the History of Science in Berlin, Germany. This podcast hopes to explore a range of questions, including, but not limited to, what does decolonization mean? What decolonial actions are currently taking place by artists, activists, scholars, and laypeople? What does justice look like for post-colonial subjects? How does activism influence decolonial practices? This is the second part of the inaugural episode where we talk to Professor Dr. Tahani Nadim and Dr. Noah Ha about the lives and afterlives of colonial structures in the city of Berlin in Germany. Professor Dr. Tahani Nadim is Junior Professor for Sociocultural Anthropology in a joint appointment between the Museum for Natural History in Berlin and the Department for European Ethnology at the Humboldt University in Berlin. Dr. Noah Ha is the director of the Center for Integration Research at the Technical University in Dresden, and she is taught at the Center for Metropolitan Studies at the Technical University in Berlin, as well as at the Humboldt University in Berlin. We start part two in the Natural History Museum in Berlin, locating this discussion within the institution and city most directly linked to Germany's violent colonial past. Adjacent to the Natural History Museum's main exhibition hall, where no mention of German colonialism was found, we asked Professor Tahani Nadim how the methodology of ethnography itself dovetails with colonialism, and she addresses her own positionality as researcher within the Natural History Museum and a professor at the university. No research practice is neutral. Uh, no, no research practice is ever value-free. And ethnography is intimately, intricately linked to the colonial enterprise and continues to perpetuate these origins in one way or another that as a method doesn't necessarily on a wholesale basis it doesn't make this method entirely useless it just to me it means to be extremely aware of the historical entanglements of this method and to be aware of my own position of the position of my research objects and subjects of the context in which I undertake the research, so not just the institutions where I might be researching, but current political climates, funding landscapes, uh, etc. Donna Haraway has this nice way of talking about situated knowledges, and I think this gives us a nice toolkit when it comes to all kinds of research methods, particularly the ones that, that have been so formative in imperial ventures. 
But I've been talking with my colleague Alice von Bieberstein and we are thinking of doing an institute colloquium next term around the question of decolonizing anthropology. But at the same time, we are both white. So how do we ask that question? And how do we include people or how, I mean, the whole the whole practice of inclusion is so super problematic. Like maybe it's a matter of us not giving giving that the power to determine how an institute colloquium looks like, who can speak, how how people can speak. Maybe it's about abdicating this, kind of providing the resources and the space, but maybe this is not our moment. And just problematizing this all the time. Like never, never feeling safe and secure in what you know and where you are. I think this is crucial. Always question your own assumptions or my own assumptions. We asked Professor Dr. Tahani Nadim if and how the museum could act as a space to interrogate colonial contexts and labor practices of the museum, as well as the circulation of collections. One driving question is, can the museum be a site for political critique transformation, and justice. One way of keeping the museum, uh, but in a, in a different, having a new version of a museum, is to make it into a space where these entangled histories can be not just shown to a public, but can be publicly and democratically problematized. I think the objects in the museum are perfect teaching object for this for exactly these kinds of purposes to start asking the uncom uncomfortable questions around you know where all our riches not just have come from but continue to come from museums could do much more towards enabling these kinds of spaces and questions Since the museum is not just a space for public exhibitions, we asked Professor Dr. Tahani Nadim about museum archives, which are often located in a separate building altogether, suggesting the kind of access it offers. Given the continued push towards the digitization of archives, we specifically asked about what's at stake during such a process and how it can both reproduce and challenge the colonial relations embedded within. This is at the moment my key research question. What happens to archives and collections when they become digitized? What parts of the, of the problems and the, the histories and the politics of the archives get translated into digital form? What stays behind? What kind of new problems, histories and politics emerge once something is digitized? How can digitization also point to the blind spots of archives? So I always find it interesting to look at it from, from, both, from both ends. And I do think that there, there are initiatives that, for example, in, in Australia, that include indigenous stakeholders in digitization processes. And for ethnological collections, you might then have different options for viewing digital items. So maybe 
only men can see this item or only women can see this item or you can only see it at particular days or particular times and so on. So this, this might sound playful, but I think it's, it's an important attempt to think about how do we translate these politics into our digital infrastructures. Moving beyond the museum doors, we now return to our conversation with Dr. Noah Ha and a cafe in Prinzlauerberg, a neighborhood in Berlin located in the former GDR. Here we continue to discuss the term decolonization itself. There is a large conversation about decolonizing, but having really addressed what colonization and colonialism or the coloniality as such is about. And that's irritating because I think if we um, really want to talk about decolonization, we need to have a lot of studies and learn how coloniality um, is shaped, produced, and so on. And if we have that kind of archival body and studies and so on, then we can create, craft some steps what decolonization could mean. But this pre-process, what I'm referring to, which I think is... um, If you look at the Latin American context, we have um, also a different local composition of indigenous communities, uh, different state formations and so on. That's very different. But the translation of decolonial theory to the German context, that I'm still missing. Here we asked Dr. Noah Ha to discuss the term of decolonization further and asked specifically about a conference she organized in Berlin in 2012 called Decolonize the City. She addresses as well how the use of the term decolonization often becomes a form of lippenbekenntnis or lip service. That's what we wanted to address 2012 in the conference and somehow I think we were also part of a movement who introduced that decolonization but it was also taking over and we're seeing now huge institutions taking over and it's just like a lippenbekenntnis to use it and to whitewash it or to to depoliticize it and to take out the demand of any kind of transformation. So I'm actually recently I'm getting more skeptical about the use of decolonization, decolonizing and, and so on. I did a course on, I think I called it geographies of knowledge production and also to reflect that when we talk about postcolonial theory that there is also a geographic context and it's most coming out of the experience of the British colonialism or British imperialism, whereas decolonial theory refers to a much longer experience of colonialism and very much um, connected also to a monarchic experience of colonialism. And in decolonial theory, you have a much more understanding the connection of modernity and coloniality, but also how nowadays capitalism is based on former colonialism. And so I think it's very important to see you have geographies which are entangled in different ways to Europe and produce a different analytic set how to understand the nowadays condition of colonialism or coloniality. The French did it different than the British and the Belgian were different than the Dutch. And so we also need to understand that colonialism as such is super heterogeneous and it's not um, a closed concept. 
Expanding on Dr. Noah Ha's discussion of the many distinct histories of colonialism, we now turn back to the use of decolonization in an even more recent context in Berlin, that of the International Literature Festival, which took place last year in 2018. The International Literature Festival taking place last year, it had a huge section on decolonizing world worlds and I was participating in there and I thought it's just a sub chapter within the festival and then it turned out that it became like a motto, it was on the catalogue and we who participated were criticizing also the festival director and, and, and if you looked at the catalogue at the front it was saying decolonizing words world and on the back side it was saying you can't decolonize uh, words because you can't decolonize words. And we were like, wow, this is some kind of postmodern interpretation of what decolonization is about. And so it seems to be just a performative act. And, and that's when it, it's, be, it's being depoliticized and it's taking away just a new metaphor, it's new avant-garde and so on. And there, I think there are some people who organize around decolonization. They're very interested. But I think... Um, Perhaps we really have to talk in terms of anti-racism, anti-colonialism, to make clear what's, what's there. Here, we asked Dr. Noah Ha about her concept of colonial nostalgia and how it relates to the controversial and anticipated opening of the Humboldt Forum in Berlin a new museum currently under construction and based on the style of the former Prussian Palace, which will exhibit the National Ethnological Collection, reviving one form of German colonialism. Dr. Noah Ha also highlights how the rebuilding of this museum is related to the rise of nationalism and the far right in Germany. By focusing on colonial nostalgia, I'm referring to a process which I observed after reunification, and the aspirations to create a new globalized world framing. And it's very interesting to see at different uh, European cities how they refer to colonialism, and in particular after decolonization. And there I think of the Humboldt Forum, which is built here in, in, in Berlin. And, and it's to me, it's, it's like the... Sometimes I call it, it's like the crown of a process. If you look at the first plannings, what, what they were inventing, how the city should look like. So it's, it's, it's kind of the logic to have at the end a castle because you could question why a democratic society needs to have a castle. The decision to move the ethnological collection from the outskirts to the center was because there was... a there was a need for a legitimization because it was already planned to have a castle. At the very beginning, it was the idea to have a library or so on. But people were hesitant because it was a Prussian castle. And to make a Prussian castle very representative for the German nation state. So in order to show that Prussia is not just representing uh, militarism and a very specific understanding of the state, the idea was to show that Germany had been out in the world. The, the decision to make that never ever reflected that that was part of a colonial legacy. And that was a state where we, like 10 years ago, 
uh, when you talked about race and racism in Germany, everybody was thinking, ah, oh, you're talking about national socialism. But the connection between race and racism to colonialism wasn't made because the main um, assumption was, well, there were no German colonies or it was so few and you can't compare it to, to the UK or to France and so on. But what happened, and that is very much to the grassroots movement who scandalized around that, that it was moving into the middle of the city center and saying, you have to look what's in there, where this stuff is coming from. And actually what we see in the collection is only 10%, 90% of the stuff is in boxes and we don't even know because it's not really registered and archived and it's just uh, sitting there for already decades. And the discussion about restitution and so on has dramatically shifted in the last three years. Like 10 years ago, I would never had expected that it would change so quickly. I think Benedict Savoie, she was on the advisor board when she left. Since then, it became very clear that as well in mainstream cultural institution, it became clear that something is wrong. And there is a saying, uh, the saying somehow in the political discourse, well, thanks to the Humboldt Forum, now we confront ourselves with the colonial legacies. But I think, on the other hand, what we also have to admit that Germany made a decision to build a castle and to invest in a specific national representation that offers to nationalist movements and parties a very specific legitimization. So on one hand, we have a post-colonial discussion, but on the other hand, we have AfD and we have Pegida on the streets. And I think that's very important to make these connections, what's taking place around that and how much it is contested about question of national identity. What I think might be possible when the museum moves in there, I mean, they will do it. They will open the museum this year or partially, And there's a whole discussion around how it could be decolonized. And my answer to that is we can start to have a conversation about decolonization in Berlin when the castle is gone. That's it. It seems a very radical answer, but also to make um, very apparent that there is a lot of investment. And why are we thinking of that investment in the castle and the ethnological collections and to holding and keeping and, and possessing instead of what would happen if we take all that money and put it in public education, in whatever we could think of what an urban society needs. And so I think we cannot have a this conversation about decolonization within the Humboldt Forum. Decolonization might take place after that building is gone. Remember that wasp that was being named at the beginning of this episode? That was Professor Dr. Tahani Nadim talking about her collaboration with an artist, Ossa Sonia's daughter. We now turn back to talk more about this artistic intervention into the Paleo Botanical Collection in Berlin's Natural History Museum. So in 2015, I did a Uh, an intervention that consisted of three parts at the Museum für Naturkunde, together with the visual artist Ossa Sonja's daughter. This intervention was based on ethnographic work I did in uh, the 
insect collection where I participated in the taxonomic project of describing, identifying and naming a wasp. So I learned how to identify a wasp, I learned how to describe a wasp and in the end the scientist gave me the liberty to name the wasp and that was a terribly uncomfortable position because on the one hand of course I was thrilled I mean who gets to name an animal ever but on the other hand I was horrified because it's a super colonial gesture but then in the end the enthusiasm prevailed and also out of family reasons I decided to name it after my grandma or after my grandma's family also because it's a Czech name that means tooth in German and the wasp actually had a little tooth coming out of its abdomen. Of course it's an excuse and not an explanation. But I was keen to work this discomfort into an intervention. I was keen on making this struggle that was also to me indicative of what I was talking before about questioning my positionalities and my assumptions. So it was important for me to make this somehow visible. And so I, I wrote a, a script for a performance or for what we then called theatrical tours into the insect collection, where I told the story of the wasp and I told my story and I told the story of taxonomy and I told the story of the project through which the wasp was acquired in a multi-vocal script where the voice wasn't always easy to locate. So that was also part of the piece that you wouldn't quite know who was talking. And I worked with a costume designer and they created a, a wasp costume for me in three parts. And during the course of these tours, I would turn into a wasp myself. And I did this, these tours for about a month twice in English, twice in German, so four to five times a week. And that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, because that's not what an academic is trained to do. But it was also something that I, I, I felt I needed to do. I felt like I had to live this discomfort. We now turn back to Dr. Noah Ha, and we asked her about her anti-colonial work and activation of her position at the university, as well as her participation in political organizations. I was teaching and I thought, well, I have the privilege that I have a bunch of students that could do some work and they might provide some kind of knowledge which another organization can make use of. So I got in touch to Berlin Postkolonial and Initiative Schwarze Menschen in Deutschland and I was asking them, what is it what you need? And they said, yeah, we have a lot of discussions and struggles around street naming and we have to go through the different boroughs and the parliaments. And then we say, yeah, look at the street, that's problematic and so on. But the local politicians, they're like, yeah, but it's only this one. So there is not a larger knowledge around how metropolitan colonialism took place in Berlin, that there are actually many, many spots and locations and street names and housings and institutions who are connected directly to colonialism. And so they said to me, yeah, we need a map. 
So the students and I, we were creating a map and also in, in cooperation with ESD and Berlin Postcolonial, we talked about categories like mission, popular culture, uh, knowledge production, enslavement, trade, different categories and dimension of colonialism. And so we put the spots on the map to have like an overview so they also can easily refer to say, if you don't know, there's a map, you can look at it. And so that was, this is an example how in my position as somebody who's teaching in the university was in a, also in a very privileged position to create a knowledge which could empower specific political struggles and specific organizations. And this could be very different. It could be in a museum context. Also my work in the Council of Migration, Migrationsrat Berlin, it's a commitment to social justice and to empower. And also I make also um, use my being academic, holding a PhD and going to uh, discussions and being the woman from the Council of Migration and not just talking as the one who is a victim of whatever happens, but also being able to talk in this kind of setting. So I think there are many, many ways possible to, to give visibility, but also to, to look at my own position and to, to understand where it's my obligation to speak up, but sometimes it's not my obligation to speak up, but to facilitate that other people, and in particular racialized group or particular queers of colors, are on front at the stage, in, in, in the foreground, and to make sure that that is taking place, and also to empower young people and so on. So this is uh, what I think is, is possible. This is the Decolonization in Action podcast. You've just listened to the second part of our inaugural episode. We wanted to start this podcast by talking about the term decolonization itself, grounded in the space from which you are speaking, which is the city of Berlin in Germany. For this inaugural episode, we want to thank everyone for all the positive responses we've received so far, as well as the many listeners who have subscribed, shared the first episode, and were celebrating with us during the launch of this podcast. We would especially like to thank Gina Jamek, Stephanie Hood, Anya Krieger, Dr. Lisa Onaga, Professor Dr. Dagmar Schaefer, Karin Wenninger, and Dr. Danian Jung, as well as Nina Prada for the artwork used for the Decolonization in Action logo. This October in Berlin is Anti-Colonial Month. There will be forums, protests, and panel discussions. For more information and the complete program, please visit berlinanticolonial.wordpress.com and find Anti-Colonial Berlin on Facebook. If you'd like to engage us in conversation or listen to future episodes, as well as to find the complete biographies of who we interviewed and links to all organizations and projects mentioned in this episode, please visit decolonizationinaction.wordpress.com and find us on Twitter at hashtag deckinaction. Thank you for joining us.